0: Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. The Shadow of Death, The Blind Brother, Episode 7 Why lads, exclaimed Rani, lads! Then flashing the light of his lamp into the boys' faces, What, Tom, is it you, you and the blind brother? Ah, but it's main bad for ye, Bairns main bad and worse, yet for the poor mither at home. When Tom first recognized Ranny, he could not speak for fear and amazement. The sudden thought that he and Benny were alone in the power of this giant whose liberty he had sworn away, overcame his courage. But when the kindly voice and sympathizing words fell on his ears, his fear departed, and he was ready to fraternize with the convict as a companion in distress. Tom, whispered Benny, I know his voice. It's the man at talked so kind to me on the day o' the strike. I remember ye, laddie," said Jack, I remember ye right well then turning to Tom, Ye were coming up the fall. Did ye find any opening? No, said Tom, speaking for the first time since the meeting, none that's any good. And there's not above either, replied Jack, so we've little to do but wait. Sit ye down, lads, and tell me how ye got caught. Seated on a shelf of rock, Tom told in a few words how he and Benny had been shut in by the fall. Then Jack related to the boys the story of his escape from the Sheriff and how his comrades had took him away into these abandoned workings and were supplying him with food until such time as he could safely go out in disguise and take ship for Europe. There he was when the crash came. No, ye must wait with patience," he said. "It'll no be for long. They'll soon be a comin' for ye. The miners ha strong arms and stout hearts, and y'all hear their picks a tap, tapping away in the heading. Tomorrow, mayhap. And is it to, is it night now?" asked Benny. "It must be, lad. I ha not to mark the time by, but it must be along in the evenin." "'But,' interrupted Tom, as the thought struck him, "'if they find you here, you'll have to go back to the jail.' "'I ha thought o' that,' answered Jack. "'I ha thought o' that, and my mind's made up. "'I'll go back and stand my sentence. "'I ha deserved it. "'I'd ha no peace o' mine o' wandering "'or the earth a keepin' out o' the way o' the law. "'And maybe if I lived my sentence out, "'I could do what that's better.' But I'll no hide any longer. I cannot do it. Off somewhere in the fall, there was a grinding, crunching sound for a minute. A muffled crash, some loosened portion of the roof, had fallen in. For a long time, Jack engaged the boys in conversation, holding their minds as much as possible from the fate of imprisonment. Toward midnight, Benny complained of feeling hungry, and Jack went down into the old chambers, where he had been staying, and came back after a while with a basket of food and a couple of coarse blankets, and then they all went up to Benny's doorway. Tom's oil was up there, and their lamps needed filling. seemed more like home up there, too, and besides that, it was the point toward which a rescue party would be most likely to work. Jack's basket was only partly full of food, but there would be enough, he thought, to last, by economical use, during the following day. He ate none of it himself, however, and the boys ate but sparingly. Then they made up a little platform from the boards and timbers of the room door, and spread the blankets on it, and induced Benny, who seemed to be weak and nervous, to lie down on it and try to sleep. But the lad was very restless, and slept only at intervals, as indeed did Tom and Jack one of whom had stretched himself out on the bench, while the other sat on the mine floor, reclining against a pillar. When they thought it was morning, they all rose and walked around a little, and the boys ate another portion of the food from the basket. But Jack did not touch it. He was not hungry, he said, and he went off into the new chambers to explore the place. After a while he came back and sat down and began telling stories of his boyhood life in the old country, intermingling with them many a marvelous tale and strange adventure, and so he entertained the boys for hours. It must have been well on into the afternoon that Tom took to walking up and down the heading. Sometimes Jack went with him, but oftener he remained to talk with Benny, who still seemed weak and ill, and who lay down on the blankets again later on and fell asleep. The flame of the little lamp burned up dimly, more oil and a fresh wick were put in, but the blaze was still lifeless. Jack knew well enough what the trouble was. There were places up in the new chambers where the deadly carbonic acid gas was escaping into the prison, adding with terrible rapidity to the amount produced by exhalation and combustion. But he said nothing, the boys did not know, and it would be useless to alarm them further. Benny started and moaned now, and then in his sleep and finally awoke, crying he had had bad dreams, he said. Jack thought it must be late in the second evening of their imprisonment. He took all the food from the basket and divided it into three equal parts. It would be better to eat it, he thought, before actual suffering from hunger began. They would be better able to hold out in the end. Nevertheless, he laid his portion back in the basket. I haven't a stomach for it just now, he said. Maybe it'll taste better when I wait to be it. There was plenty of water. A little stream ran down through the airway, from which the pail had been repeatedly filled. The night wore on. The first sound of rescue had not yet been heard. By and by, both boys slept. Jack alone remained awake and thoughtful. His face gave token of great physical suffering. Once he lifted the cover from the basket and looked hungrily and longingly at the little portion of food that remained. Then he replaced the lid and set the basket back resolutely on the ledge. No, no, he murmured, I mustn't take it out o' the mouse, o' Tom Taylor's bairns. For a long time he sat motionless, with his chin in his hands and his eyes fixed on the sleeping lads. Then, straightening up, there came into his face a look of heroic resolution. I'll do it, he said allow it'll be a better for us all the sound of his voice awakened tom who had slept for some hours and who now arose and began again his monotonous walk up and down the heading after a while, Jack motioned to him to come and sit beside him on the bench. I have to say to ye," he said, then with a glance at the sleeping boy, come ye up the airway a bit. The two walked up the airway a short distance and sat down on a broken prop by the side of the track. Tom, said Jack, after a moment or two of silence, it's a goin a-hard with us. Most like it's near two days since the fall, and no sound'll help yet no no doubt but they're a working but it'll take long to get here from the time you hear the first happen the three of us can't live that long mayhap two can You so all be the ones i have fixed on that from the start that's why i hain't t- taken no food and we've had it all broken tom you shouldn't have done it the three of us ought to have fair to like sip maybe benny he- he hain't so strong, and he ought to be favored. Yes, Tom, the week's first. That's right. That's why I'm a givin' my chances to you lads. And besides that, my life ain't worth savin' anyway, alongside o' oh, yours and Benny's. Ye saw, shall, what's in the basket between ye? Tain't much, but it'll keep ye up as long as the air'll support ye. It's a gettin' bad. The air is. Do ye mind the lamp? How dim and lazy like it burns? A man's got to us such strength as food'll give him to hold out, lying in air like this. I wish you'd eaten with us, interrupted Tom again. Tain't right to let your chances go that way on account of us. Payin' no attention to this protest, Jack continued, But I've a thing on my mind, Tom, that I'd feel easier about and fitter for what's a-comin' if I told it. It's about the father, lad. It's about Tom Taylor and how he came to his death. You'll know think too hard on me, Tom. It wasn't the fall, o' top coal, that killed it, him. It was me, Tom, lad, Tom. Bear with me a minute. Sit ye and bear with me. It'll no be for long. The boy had risen to his feet and stood staring at the man in terrified amazement. Then Jack rose in his turn and hurried on with his story. It wasn't by intent, Tom. We were the best of friends. I was his butty. We had a chamber Together that time, I the Carbondale mine. But one day we quarreled. I've no call to say what about. We quarreled there in the chamber, and ugly words passed. And there came a moment when one of us struck the other. Then the fight began, hand to hand, both lamps out, uh, in the dark. Oh, it was terrible, terrible. Down on the floor, oh, the mine crashing up against the ragged pillars, struggling and straining like mad, and uh. Of a sudden, I heard a sharp cry, and I felt him a slipping out on my arms and down to my feet, and he lay there and was still. I found my lamp and lighted it, and when I looked it at him, he was dead. I was a coward. I was afraid to say we'd been a-fightin'. I was afraid they'd say I murdered him, so I blasted down a bit of a roof and fixed it like the top. Cold had killed it, him, and I wasn't suspected but I couldn't not care stay there and I wandered west and I wandered east and I took to drink and to evil deeds until at last I came back and I went in with the Molly Marquise scotchman as I was and I done desperate work for him work that I oughtn't to be alive tonight to speak about but I has suffered old lad I has suffered money and money's the so often as I, I slept and dreamed that I fought over that fight I, in the dark, and felt that body a slip, slipping out of my grasp. Oh, it's been terrible, terrible. Jack dropped into his seat again and buried his face in his hands. The man's apparent mental agony melted Tom's heart, and he sat down beside him and laid a comforting hand on his knee. I have naught against you, he said, and repeated, I have not against you. After a while, Jack looked up. I believe you, lad he said, and somehow I feel easier for the telling. But you must not tell the mother about it, Tom. I've a reason for that. I've a bit of money here that I've saved along through the years, and I've neither kith nor kin. That's near and now to leave it with, and I want she should have it, and if she knew, she might not take it. And he spoke as he spoke, he drew from an inner pocket a folded and wrapped package, and gave it to Tom. It's a matter o' a thousand dollars, he continued, and I'd like I'd like if a part o' it could be used for getting sight for the blind lad. Gin he lives to get out. I told him one day that he should have his sight, if money to buy it, and I want to keep my word. Tom took the package, too much amazed and too deeply moved to speak. The grind and noise of settling rock came up up from the region of the fall, and then for many minutes the silence was unbroken. After a while Jack said, Put the money where they'll find it on ye. gin ye ye don't get out. Then he rose to his feet again. You're not going to leave us, said Tom. Yes, lad, I must go. It's the way we hunger sometimes, to make a man crazy till he's not knowing what he does. Ye shut Nola had that to fear from me, Tom, grasping the boy suddenly by both hands. Don't come up into the new chambers, Tom. Promise me. Tom promised. And Jack added, Mayhap I shall not see ye again. Goodbye. Keep up heart. That's the great thing for both o' ye. Keep up heart and never let hope go. Then he loosed the boy's hands, picked up his lamp, and with a smile on his face he turned away. He passed down the airway and out by the entrance where blind Benny lay, still sleeping, and stopped and looked tenderly down upon him, as men look for the last time in life on those whom they love. He bent over, holding his heavy beard back against his breast, and touched the tangled hair on the child's forehead with his lips, and then, weak, staggering, with the shadow of his fate upon him, he passed out on the heading and up into to the new chambers, where the poisoned air was heavy with the deadly gas, and the lamp flames scarcely left the wick, and neither Tom Taylor nor his blind brother ever saw Jack Rennie again, in life or in death. When Tom went back to the waiting place, Benny awoke. I had such a nice dream, Tommy said. I thought I was a lying in the little bed at home in the early morning, and it was summer, and I could hear the birds a singing in the poplar tree outside. And then Mommy she come up by the bed and kissed me. And, I, and then I thought, all of a sudden, I could see—oh, Tom, it was lovely. I could see Mommy a standing there, and I could see the sunlight a coming in at the window and a shining on the floor. And I jumped up and looked out, and it was was all just like just like heaven there was a pause and then Benny added Tom do you suppose if I should die now and go to heaven I could see up there I guess so answered Tom but you ain't going to die we're going to get out both of us but Benny was still thinking of the heavenly vision then I wouldn't care Tom I just uh, live dying if only Mummy could be with me. Again Tom spoke, in earnest cheerful tones, of the probability of rescue, and discussed the subject long, and stimulated his own heart as well as Benny's with renewed hope. By and by the imperious demands of hunger compelled a resort to the remnant of food. Tom explained that Jack had gone away to be by himself a while, and wanted them to eat what there was in the basket. Benny did not question the statement, so the last of the food was eaten. After this there was a long period of quiet waiting and listening for sounds of rescue, and finally both boys lay down again and slept hours passed by with no sound save the labored breathing of the sleepers then tom awoke with a prickling sensation over his entire body and a strange heaviness of the head and weakness of the limbs but benny slept on he might as well sleep said tom to himself it'll make the time shorter for him But by and by Benny awoke, and said that he felt very sick, and that his head was hurting him. He fell asleep again soon, however, and it was not until some hours later that he awoke with a start and asked for water. After that, though oppressed with drowsiness, he slept only at intervals, and complained constantly of his head. Tom cared for him and comforted him, putting his own sufferings out of sight, sleeping a little, straining his ears for a sound of rescue. The hours crept on, and the flame on the little lamp burned round and dim, and the deadly gas grew thicker in the darkness. Once after a longer period of quiet than usual, there came a whisper from Benny. Tom, what is it, Benny? Where did Jack go? Up in the new chambers? How long's he been gone?" oh a day or two i guess hark tom is that him i don't hear anything benny listen it's a kind o' of tapping tapping don't you hear it but tom's heart was beating so wildly they could hear no or noise i don't hear it I- any more said benny but both boys lay awake now and listened and by and by benny spoke again there it is don't you hear it tom this time tom did hear it just the faintest tap tap sounding almost as though it were miles away There was a little crowbar there that that had been brought down from the new chambers. Tom caught it up, and hurried into the heading, and beat half a dozen times on the wall there. Dropping the bar from sheer exhaustion, he lay down beside it and listened. It was hard to tell if they heard his strokes, though he repeated them again and again as his strength would permit. But the faint tapping ceased only at intervals, and once in a long while a scarcely perceptible thud could be heard. Tom crept back to Benny and tried to speak cheeringly as they lay and listened. But the blind boy's limbs had grown numb and his head very heavy and painful. His utterance, too, had become thick and uncertain, and at times he seemed to be wondering in his mind. Once he started up, crying out that the roof was falling on him. Hours passed. Echoing through the fall, the sound of pick and crowbar came with unmistakable earnestness. Tom had tapped many times on the wall and was sure he had been heard, for the answering raps had reached his ears distinctly. But there were so long coming, so long. Yet Tom nursed his hope and fought off the drowsiness that oppressed him and tried to care for Benny. The blind boy had got beyond caring for himself. He no longer heard the sounds of rescue. Once he turned partly on his side, "Yes, Mommy," he whispered, "yes, I see it. Ain't it pretty?" Then after a pause, "Oh, Mommy, how beautiful. How beautiful it is to see." Tap, tap thud came the sounds of rescue through the rock and coal tap tap thud but oh how the moments lagged how the deadly gas increased how the sharp teeth of hunger gnawed how feebly burned the flame of the little lamp how narrow grew the issue between life and death the time had come when Benny could be no longer roused to consciousness when the brain itself had grown torpid and the tongue refused to act they were coming near. Men's voices could be heard. Thud, thud. The prison wall began to tremble with the heavy blows, but the hours were slipping by into the darkness. And over the rude couch whereon the blind boy lay, the angel of death hung motionless, with pinions poised for flight. Oh, God, prayed Tom. Oh, dear God, let Benny live until they come. Thank you for listening to another episode of Soft Story Classic. Thank you.